If you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14, we'll finish up chapter 14 in the final installment of Jesus the Cardiologist. And I, I want to draw your attention to the elements of communion. We'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper towards the end of the service this morning. And I want to remind you, if you're here today, and, and maybe this seems strange to you, um, to those of us who love the Lord, uh, this is a sacred moment for us to be able to remember the broken body and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. And so this supper that we're going to celebrate is for the body of Christ. It's for people who have personally placed their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And this represents to us the sacrifice that he made on the cross. And so if you're here visiting today and you've never participated in communion, uh, there's something that has to happen in your heart before you go to the Lord's table, and that's you need to confess that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior, that you've believed in him, and because of that, have everlasting life. But if you've not done that, if you're here today and maybe you're visiting with a friend and you're not sure, uh, then we have a couple of options for you. One of them, certainly the most preferable for all of us, is that you would believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved that you would invite Christ into your heart, that you would confess that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but by him, by inviting him into your life to forgive your sin, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You, You can participate freely with us at your first communion service. But if not, then we simply ask that you allow these elements to pass you by because to us this represents the most wonderful sacrifice that anyone's ever made in the course of human history. Jesus' life ransomed for me for my sin. And so it's a sacred moment, and we're not to participate at the Lord's table lightly or ill-advisedly. So please, uh, don't participate if you don't know the Lord Jesus. As we turn our attention now to verse 18, we'll reread that from last week. Jesus is speaking in a very specific place and time as he finishes out what we call chapter 14. And as I remind you frequently and often, you must always look to the context of every biblical passage. Sometimes it will be more important than others. It is always important, and in this case, it is supremely important to understand the who, the what, the when, the where, the why, and the how. This context is thus. Jesus is on his last evening of his life. He has his disciples, the 12 that have spent uh, this time with him the last couple of years, two and a half, maybe three, maybe a little more than three years by some accounts. Jesus is with them. Judas has left. And now you have this very small group in the upper room And Jesus is going to give them, in essence, the last instructions that he will give them corporately together before he leaves this room and goes to the Garden of Gethsemane where he will be arrested. And within less than 24 hours, Jesus is going to be dead. So the context is supremely important. These are all believers These are men who will have absolutely every reason in the world to have a troubled heart. 
to be supremely concerned about what is coming next. These are men who are going to be confused. They will have no peace. They're going to watch the Roman government at its worst. They are going to watch the Jewish religious leadership at its worst. They are going to see humanity at its worst in less than 24 hours. And so they have every reason imaginable to have a troubled heart. And Jesus speaks these words to them to tell them, do not be troubled. He's saying to them, John, Matthew, Peter, trust me, I've got this. It's going to be okay. You may not understand everything right now, but don't let your heart be troubled. This is Jesus at his most compassionate. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you would send Jesus here to speak these words to us as your disciples. Lord, these words, though spoken 2,000 years ago to 11, have just as much deep meaning to us this day because we, in like kind, are your disciples. We love you, Jesus, and we profess you this day as our Savior. Just as you said, you are the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through you. And so, Lord, for we who have believed on your name, speak to us. For those that may not yet know you, would before this service ends, would they invite you into their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 18, John chapter 14. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You see, from their perspectives, they're about to be spiritual orphans. They're about to seemingly be abandoned by the person in whom they have put their hope and trust. Jesus is about to die. And the last thing that many of these men will see is going to be Jesus carried by Joseph of Arimathea to the tomb. They have reason to believe that no one loves them. They have reason to believe that they're abandoned. They have reason to believe that no one cares. They have reason to be very troubled. But Jesus says, and you can almost imagine his countenance changing while he understands fully what's going to happen. He knows that by midnight he'll be arrested. He knows by daybreak he will have been tried six illegal times. He knows these things. But he's saying to the disciples, I got this. Don't be troubled. Verse 19, a little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. And he's speaking both figuratively and, and literally. Because he will show himself to them after his resurrection. But he's speaking to them. He says, guys, don't see only with your eyes and deceive yourself. The very words of James. 
You need to see with the eyes of the Spirit what's about to happen. You need to be focusing on the internal and the eternal, not the external. Because I live, you will also live, or you will live also. Now that's going to get tested, isn't it? Because he's going to be dead very shortly. But remember what he's already told them. I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me, though he shall die, yet he shall or she shall live. Amen? He's reminding them of the truth of who he is and how much he loves them. He's speaking the Father's love directly into their hearts. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He's speaking very very clearly of multiple different people here. Amen? God the Father, God the Son. He's going to clarify that in a major way. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And make no mistake, you're saved by grace through faith. That faith is a gift to you. Scripture is clear on this, but the person who's received the Lord Jesus Christ cares about the commandments of God. Walks in the ways of the Lord. Desires for his or her life to be a shining beacon of hope because your life is so transformed by the word of God and by the commands of the Lord that you now live so differently the world looks at you and says, I don't know what you have, but I want it. Because it's different than what I see in the world. Jesus is setting the stage for them. It is he who loves me. It is she who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. You see, you can't separate the love of God from a relationship with God, and you can't separate the love of God from the works of God. You can't take love out of the equation and be left with God, who we see in Scripture. God is, in fact, love. So he says, if you love God, you'll love his word. If you love God, you're going to love Jesus. And if you love Jesus, God loves you because the love that you have came from him in the first place. You see, it all works together. People like to pull these things out and, well, let's just focus on this one part of this equation. The equation is to be left intact. People who love God love his word. People who love the Father love the Son. And people who love the Son love the Father and the Word. And people who love the Father and the Word do the works of the Lord. You can't pull these things out and say, well, you know, I just love. If you love, you're actually going to love doing the things that God tells you to do. However imperfectly you may do them. You see, Jesus is saying, look, this is what it looks like to be one of my disciples. Guys, I'm about to leave. Take note of what I'm saying. Judas, and this is not Judas Iscariot, he's gone. Judas, very common name. An additional Judas, we're not exactly sure who he was. He says, he who loves me will love my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. But Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? 
Look, if you're leaving, if you're going somewhere, you, you, you said you're going away to your father's house already. If you're going someplace, how are you going to make yourself known? They're starting to get the call. They're starting to get the picture. They're starting to get their ministry objectives and goals. They're starting to get what we call the first steps of discipleship. And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Do you see it? God the Father and Jesus the Son are two separate individuals, hence the words we and ours. If you love the Father, you love the Word. If you love the Word, you allow God the Father and Jesus the Son to set up home with you. That's what the word abide means. In its finest sense, it means to make home with. You're inviting Jesus to take residence in your life, to make a home with you. And when you do that, you're going to begin to live your life according to the standards of his word. That's what happens to us. And he who does not love me does not keep my words. Now he reverses it. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. He says, look, you can't pull this all apart. You can't just love Jesus. And you can't just love God the Father. You can't just be a lover of the word. If you love the word, you'll love God. If you love God, you'll love Jesus. If you love Jesus, you'll love the word. It's a package deal. So you ever bought a new car and they offer the XL package? It's like you can't tell them, no, I don't want the rims on the car. It just comes. It's part of the deal. If you want the Father, you have to have the Son. If you have the Son, you'll love the Word. You'll live the Word. Your life will be marked by the Word. That's a sign you love the Son and love the Father, and they love you. Christianity is filled with people who are Christians in name only. Oh, they speak Jesus' name, but their life is unchanged. And Jesus is making it very clear here that your life can't be unchanged. If there's no change, then maybe nothing changed? Think about it for a second. These things I have spoken to you, verse 25 says, while being present with you. They're about to walk through the door and head towards the base of the Mount of Olives to Gethsemane. They're about to take a journey And Jesus said, look, I'm speaking these things to you right here and right now. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit. So now Jesus tells us who the Helper is. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Now all three persons of the Godhead are linked together. You have the I and the we of God the Father and God the Son. And now you have the third person, the Holy Spirit, being sent in the name of Jesus. So you can't pull all three of them apart and make them less than God. Because they are each in one another. They all have the same characteristics. They're all God. Whom the Father will send in my name and he will teach you all things. 
One of the great works of the Holy Spirit is the the instructor of the body of Christ. We know the Word of God because the Holy Spirit bears testimony that it is truth. So very often people say, well, you know, how do you know? The Holy Spirit bears witness. You know that you know that you know. I read the Word of God, I'm going, man, that's truth. As a believer, I I may not fully understand absolutely everything in my Bible, but I know this, the Holy Spirit will convict me of both sin and righteousness. All of a sudden, I'm hearing that word, I'm going, man, that's for me. And bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So this is the Holy Spirit's job to instruct the church of the word of God, the truth of it, of all things that Jesus spoke. That's why when somebody says, well, I, you know, I don't know, this whole words of Jesus thing, I'm not so sure. I just, I just live by the Holy Spirit. Well, if you live by the work of the Holy Spirit, then you're going to live the testimony of Jesus Christ. Your life will match what the Word says. That's the goal for each of us. And then he says, and now you can see it begin to unfold. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. He says, look, this is not the cessation of hostility. This is not you just simply being wealthy and having a nice home. This is not circumstantial peace. And in fact, everything you're about to see, John, will be a reason for you to not have peace. As you watch me arrested in the garden, you're not going to be thinking of temporal peace. As you see what Annas and Caiaphas say to me and do to me and what the Roman guards do to me, as you listen to the words of Pilate, you will have no temporal reason to believe peace. But I'm telling you, I'm giving you my shalom, my peace. It's not the peace of the world. The peace of the world is the end of hostility. It's the end of war. That's the way the world generally views peace. Sometimes it inserts prosperity in along with that. But see, the problem is that's not the real source of our conflict. The real source of my conflict, the real source of my war is exactly what Jesus is going to take care of because I was at war with God. I was a sinner in need of a Savior. And without Him, the war remained. I was at enmity with God, the very things that Paul would write in the book of Romans. You say, look, I'm going to give you a new kind of peace. I'm going to terminate the war that you have with God the Father because I'm going to pay the price for what you've been doing, Jeffrey, with my own life. I'm going to give my life in your place. You're going to stand accused in the box and I'm going to push you out of the box and say, put that guilt on me. Think about it as we head towards the Lord's table. And so he says to them, let not your heart be troubled. Began that way, this chapter ends this way. Neither let it be afraid, and they'll have reason to be afraid. Imagine Peter. Think of Peter. You just have to love Peter. I'll never deny you. What does he do? Denies the Lord three times. So he gets an opportunity to square it up, to get it straight. What does he do? He goes and sits by a campfire with a little servant girl, girl, and he begins to swear that he does not know Jesus. 
to a little girl. You think his heart was troubled? You think he was a bit confused? You think maybe he didn't quite have all the parts quite put together the way he should have? Absolutely, he did not know everything he needed to know. His heart could be troubled, and Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. I love this. Because my heart gets troubled sometimes. I see things I don't understand. I talk to people, and and I've like shared the truth with them, and they turn right away and walk out my office door, and they do exactly what I told them not to do. Exactly what I told them not to do. Matter of fact, they up it a notch sometimes. Well, if he said to not do it, it must be really fun. And I'm going, God, what do you have to say to them? You know what he removes? All their peace. Now all of a sudden they're wondering, man, what's life about? You've heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to my Father, for my Father is greater than I. Right now, I'm here in this earthly body. This earthly body is going to be put to death. God the Father in heaven, fully eternal, absolutely no humanity. Jesus is wearing some humanity right now. He's going to die. Now, I've told you before it comes that when it does come, to pass that you may believe. He says, look, I'm telling you things, these things in advance so that when you see this happen, that it will bear witness in your heart that this is true. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing on me. You see, it's going to look like the ruler of this world has everything. There's going to be a cohort of Roman soldiers. There'll be a centurion. There'll be the high priest. There'll be the former high priest, both Annas and Caiaphas. There will be members of the Sanhedrin. There will be the temple guards. There will likely be in excess of 200 people that will come after Jesus for no other reason than they say he broke the Sabbath and declared himself to be God. And that man who's done nothing but good will be beaten to a pulp. His body will be broken. He will be not recognizable as a human being in less than 24 hours. He will then be nailed to a cross and killed. He says, guys, I'm telling you this in advance because your hearts are going to be really troubled in the next few hours. But get this. I've won. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise and let us go from here. In this passage, you see the past expression of the love that God expressed to the disciples. I mean, he's taking the time. He's about to die, and he's making sure they're okay. He's about to be killed, beaten mercilessly, and he's more concerned for them than he is for his own life. He could have just left. He's God, but he didn't. 
You can see the present manifestation in those of us who believe here in this place today. Sometimes it's not easy being a believer in this world, amen? Things are kind of set against us. It's about to get really set against me as a pastor. If our state senate votes tomorrow to enact this bill that may make it illegal for us to sell books that encourage people to no longer be gay, for me to speak from the Bible, it's not easy being a Christian sometimes. It's a price we pay, but God loves me. God loves you. God loves us. And just as he spoke to them on that day, reminding them of that love, one day there's going to be a future and even greater manifestation of this love because Jesus is coming again. Amen? One day he's going to poke his head through the clouds of heaven and he's coming back. And it's not to die again. It's to rule and reign the next time. Amen? So, so there is a future manifestation of his love and you who love the Lord Jesus are coming back with him when that happens, by the way. I can't wait for that moment. All you ladies that wanted to ride a white horse, you're going to get a chance. Here we come, you know. Sound of the trumpet gathering the elect from the four corners of heaven. Jesus is coming again. He's encouraging them before he leaves that he's coming again. You see, sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we think God's asleep. When you read 2 Peter chapter 3, you get this picture. You see, God is not slack concerning his promises as some count slackness. But he is unwilling that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, what God is actually doing right now is not turning a blind eye to the world's sin, but he's giving time for people to come to faith so that they will never face him in his wrath. He's actually being merciful by allowing the things that go on in our world today. That's how gracious God is. So don't give up on the lost because God's not given up on those who are lost. Amen? You pray them into the kingdom. You reach out to them because you have been given the task to show them Jesus. That's why you're still here. You are a manifestation of the love of the Lord towards this world which is perishing. And God does not want people to perish with this world that is one day going to be rolled up like a scroll and no more. He wants everyone to be saved. And so to that end, he says to them, look, I want to give you my shalom, my peace. When you use the word shalom in a Hebrew or even an Arab context, it doesn't just mean peace like We used to say in the 60s, peace, man. You know, you can tell old hippies because they're still doing this. You know, they got the chicken foot on the back of their car. Not that kind of peace. It's not talking about external peace. It's not talking about the cessation cessation of war. 
The cessation of every war would be a wonderful thing. Make no mistake what I'm saying and don't think that Jesus doesn't want all wars to be ended either. He does. But that's not the primary piece that he's talking about. He's talking about wholeness. He's talking about you restored to a right relationship with God the Father. He's talking about your spiritual health. He's talking about the well-being of your soul, which transcends everything that you have in this life. You see, you can have nothing here. You're still going to have everything there. Amen? So our concern needs to be the heavenward things. Our concern needs to be not about the resources of this life, but about the relationship that will give us life everlasting. It needs to be about the internals and the eternals and not the externals. So he says, my peace I give you, my shalom. I'm giving you something different, something you've never experienced. And so he sends the Holy Spirit to give us that peace. That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. You just know that you know. You know, sometimes I walk around, I, I was in the green room between services, and I'm just going, I can't believe I get to do this. It's just this weirdest sense that there's eternal things happening and people's lives transformed by the hearing of the Word of God. And I'm like, Lord, you're too good. It's just Peace. It isn't wealth. It's not prosperity. It's knowing that my life actually matters for something. It's counting all of this earthly travail as joy. Saying, Lord, thank you that I get an opportunity for some 80 years if I'm fortunate or 90 or maybe 100 to do something that has eternal implications. God's peace in my life through the Holy Spirit enables me to just keep going. God gives us his love. It's a very different kind of love. Man, the world's love is conditional, isn't it? I can tell you the world's love is conditional. I've heard about every story you can possibly think of. While sitting someplace on a couch or behind my desk or on a chair somewhere or in a hallway, I've heard about every kind of conditional love you can possibly imagine. I've heard love attached to money, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I mean everything. And by the way, none of those things are like the love of the Lord. Because it's without condition. God loves you because he loves you. And he will always love you. And maybe some of you today in this room don't feel as though anyone loves you. Can I tell you God loves you? God loves you. And maybe you've never experienced that kind of love. Today's your day. Because God loves you. And the proof is right here. It's in the broken body of my Savior, Jesus. Because you were guilty in the box. You were trying to defend your life before a holy God. And Jesus pushed you out of the way and said, don't put it on him. Don't put it on her. You put it on me. I'll take every stripe necessary. I will bleed out my last drop of blood for Jeff. God loves you. 
God the Father sent Jesus, his son, to bear witness that he loves you. That's why God so loved the world. That's what that means. And on top of that, he gives us joy, the craziest thing in the world. Think about it. We get God's peace. We get God's love. And we get God's love. By the time we get done with chapter 15, I, I have these things I've spoken, Jesus will say that you might have joy and that joy would remain in you and it would be full. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled, family. You see, just like the disciples, there's reason for your hearts to be troubled today. You, you may be seeing the trial of Jesus come into your life right now. And I don't mean physically. But to you, the loss of that job is your moment to be troubled. To you, your marriage is that moment to be troubled. To you, your prodigal son or daughter is your moment to be troubled. To you, your mortgage payment is your moment to be troubled. To you, your health is your moment to be troubled, and there seems no way that you're going to survive it. There seems no way that you can get through it. And Jesus says to you today, don't let your heart be troubled. This is not it. This isn't the end. There's a day coming when you're going to be set free from the bonds of sin and death permanently. You're going to a place where there is a mansion made for you. He's already said it. You're going to a place where there's no more death and no more dying. No more war. No more poverty. No more good neighborhood or bad neighborhood. No more free country or not free country. You're going to a place where the king reigns. Don't let your heart be troubled. Jesus has defeated the enemy that really matters most. And I'm going to have the communion team begin to pass out the elements of communion right now. And again, I ask you, if you're a believer, please partake with us. If you're not yet convinced that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, and you don't want to make that decision, no one's forcing you, but please don't take in an unworthy manner. Jesus has defeated my enemy, my mortal enemy. You see, the devil hates you, and he wants to kill you. And if he can, he would. But because of Jesus, he can't. There is no weapon fashioned against us that can prosper in the Lord. There is nothing you'll ever face that Jesus hasn't, Jesus hasn't already beaten. You're never going to get to a test and go, well, I didn't see that one coming. Now, why is this important? Jesus was limited in his human body by choice. And so he's gone through everything that you can ever go through. He's been tested in his body. He's been tested in his mind. He's been tested in his spirit. And each time he merely spoke forth the word to Satan himself, and Satan fled. 
Jesus has got this. That's why he's saying, don't let your heart be troubled. It looks grim. It looks terrible. You're not going to understand what you're about to see fully, but trust me in this. I've got it, and I'm coming back after you. You can almost see Jesus at this time. To the disciples, there was a, a dark, foreboding sky that's about to brew over Jerusalem. I don't know how many of you have been tracking with the hurricane in, in Hawaii, but when a storm rolls in and the clouds lower and, and the darkness is just pervasive, it, it's, the sun is blotted out. To the disciples, the sun is going to be blotted out. Literally, darkness is going to come upon the land. They are going to witness the worst that the enemy can do. Satan himself, I I believe, inhabiting maybe the, the life of Caiaphas or Annas, just speaking evil into his life. So much so that the people will cry out, we do not want this man to rule over us. Give us Barabbas. Oh, but the enemy wasn't winning. Jesus was winning. God the Father's plan was coming to fruition. And the Holy Spirit was bearing witness to the whole thing. Don't let your heart be troubled. Jesus, maybe his face begins to almost smile a little bit. You can almost see him say, guys, my friends, look, we've wandered around for a while together. Don't let your heart be troubled. This is what I came to do. I'm not going to leave you without comfort as a bunch of orphans. I'm not abandoning you. I'm doing what I have to do so that you can be out from underneath the thumb of the wicked one. I'm going to defeat your mortal enemy tonight. Oh yeah, by morning I'm going to be gone. But make no mistake, you're going to see me again. Because I'm going to defeat death. I'm going to defeat sin. I'm going to defeat your enemy. You see, Jesus was that blazing star. He knew the cross was coming. It was no mystery to Jesus. He wasn't sitting in the upper room going, I wonder what's happening next. Wow, this seems a little strange. No, he knew. It's one of the most amazing things about what we will be studying over the next weeks and months. The cross of Christ, when you think about it, Jesus knew everything. He knew what Pilate was going to say. He knew what Annas would say. He knew what Caiaphas would say. He knew that poor Malchus was going to lose an ear. He knew Peter would have false bravado. He knew all the disciples save one would completely abandon him. He knew the names of the Roman guards and their entire life's history that nailed him to the cross. And yet none of it kept him from going.
none of it. I, I think on Peter's life, and I, I'm not so sure I'm dying for Peter. But I think about Peter's life, it's like, mm, not, not maybe we'd be better off without him. And then I think about who Peter is and go, man, he's better than I would have done. And so Jesus says, don't worry. And she received the elements while the remainder are being passed out. I want you to just track with me for just a moment before we partake together. This is just this chapter alone. You see, what you need to know is the I wills of Jesus overcome the I can'ts of your life because he's the I am. You see, Jesus wants his I wills to be present in your life. And maybe today you feel powerless. Maybe it's a job situation. Maybe it's in your marriage or some area of your life where you feel powerless. Jesus says to you, because he is the I am, and he is the I will, even though you say you can't, I'll give you the power to do greater things than this. That's on him. That's not on you. You see, your powerlessness is met by his power. Maybe today you feel like nobody listens to you. Nobody cares. Jesus says to you, because he is the one who is the I am, who takes his I wills to meet your I can'ts, and he says to you today, Jeff, I'm listening. I will answer your prayers. I'll talk to you when no one else will. Maybe today you feel alone. Maybe you don't think you have a friend in the world. Maybe you don't think anybody even knows that you exist. Jesus says to you, I will send you a comforter. Not I might. Not for some, I'll give them comfort. To you, he says this morning, I will send you another comforter. And that comforter comforter will take residence in you. Maybe you feel today nobody cares. A little different than being alone. You see, somebody can know you're there, but they don't care about your circumstance. To you, Jesus says, because he is the I am who gives you his I wills, I will come to you. I'll be with you and no one else will. I care. Maybe today you feel like you're unimportant. You don't matter. Jesus says to you, I will make it possible for you to live eternally with me. You're one of the king's kids. You are not only important, you're supremely important to God. So much so that Jesus will offer his own life for you. Maybe you feel unloved. I talk to so many people who feel unloved. It breaks my heart. I listen to their story. 
And sometimes I hear my own story in their story. I grew up believing that no one loved me. That I was unwanted. When your own mom looks you in the eye and says, I wish I had never brought you into this world. It's kind of hard to come back from that mentally. But I know who loves me. And I figured out a whole bunch of other people actually do too. But the enemy was trying to tell me, no one loves you. So Jesus says to us, Jeff, I'll love you forever. And my love is unconditional. It's not based on what you can do. It's not based on what you have. It's not based on what you can do for me. I just love you. You see, that's the I am putting his I wills into my I can'ts. Hallelujah. Because you've got to see this. That's who your Savior is. Family, this is who Jesus is to us. And then, of course, this passage itself. You feel anxious? We live in an anxious world, amen? Man, if we're not going to die by nuclear blast or, you know, something's going to happen. Everybody wanders around this constant state of anxiousness. Anxious over our mortgage payments or anxious over our health. If you watch TV, you're going to die from something. You know, it's every other thing. is like, take this pill because you undoubtedly got exposed to this. It's like, yeah, well, I did that. I'm going to die from that too. Are you anxious? There's something stuck in your heart. The answer is Jesus, the I will. I'll give you my peace. Even if this life deals you the worst hand and you die today, you've gone to be with the Lord Jesus. That's the answer. And then finally, man, so many people just have this self-worth issue. I'm just a loser. Maybe that's you today. Look what Jesus says. Oh, no, you're not. Because I've defeated your enemies. You can't be a loser when you're on the winning side. Amen? Kind of were at the Dodger game a, a couple of, I guess, two weeks ago, I guess now. And we're sitting there, and Jeannie Buss comes, sits in the seats right below us. And I'm looking, she's got a world championship ring on there from 1988 from the Dodgers. I can guarantee you, she didn't play in the games. But she's a winner because she's on the winning team, right? That's you and Jesus. Oh, you got a ring. And that ring says, I belong to the king. Amen? Amen? You see, so the formula is simple. Let the I am place his I wills over your I can'ts. And you'll have victory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the body of our Savior Jesus that was broken for us. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place. Lord, I deserved every lash that you took. Lord, I I should have been mocked and spit on. Lord, had my beard plucked as you did. I should have been drugged to and fro from place to place, 
and tried and I would have been guilty, Lord, but you were guiltless. And you pushed me out of that defendant's box and you took the beating for me. Every stripe laid to your back was for me. And Lord, I am grateful. We who love your name are grateful that you took our sin. And in the place of that sin, you gave us your righteousness. And so for your broken body, Lord Jesus, we say thank you for being broken for us. We remember you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake together of the bread. like manner after the supper Jesus took the cup the sacrifice was already over so he took the cup of blessing the cup of praise and raised it up he said this cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for the remission of sin and as often as you drink from it do so in remembrance of me let's partake together would you stand and we'll pray and we'll close in worship Father we thank you we thank you for sending Jesus the great I am to place upon us his I wills to cover our I can'ts. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to die in our place, his body being broken and his blood being shed. And as we celebrate, as you, Jesus, said we were to do, it was you who said, do this in remembrance of me. And so today, Lord Jesus, we remember you. We are grateful, Lord, as your children, that you would adopt us into your family, that you would give us the glories of heaven, that you will always love us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.